Please to Acts chapter 11. We want to look one more time at this text in the latter part of the chapter. We'll be reading verses 22 through 30. I think it helps to take a step back and sometimes look at some key books in Scripture with kind of a big picture view. And we've done that a few times here with the book of Acts. Many Christians, considering the accounts that are presented, they will read and study and preach and teach about Peter in the book of Acts. And there's nothing wrong with that. Some will also show us that John is also there, and there are clues about his ministry and his contribution. Some will look at Paul and focus in on him. Some will preach about Stephen and his boldness and courage to preach in the face of danger. And then they will challenge us. Be like Peter, be like John, be like Paul, be like Stephen. There's nothing wrong with that. But we want to look at a broader picture. Two things I want to consider this morning. Consider that a great spiritual harvest is being described in the book of Acts. And it is worth studying. We need to see that workers are needed and workers were prepared. Second, consider that Luke deliberately suggests a contrast to this spiritual harvest with the mention of a literal famine. And we'll talk about this more when we get into it. There is a great spiritual harvest being described in the book, and that's worth studying, that's worth noting. And consider that Luke, at this part of the, his text, suggests a contrast to spiritual harvest with the mention of a literal famine. If there are no workers, there's no harvest. If there's no harvest, there's great famine. Let's read our text, and then we'll pray and proceed into finding out what's here. Now, this is all commenting on Barnabas' ministry. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that, they were, that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word and for its truth. May this truth shine light into our hearts, our minds, and our understanding. 
that we may see once again. What defines us as your bride, your church, your people? We know it is our Lord and Savior, but our actions should also define us, help us to be faithful to these. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me remind you, as I did a few weeks ago, that this is a big picture view of the book of Acts. In the Old Testament, there was judgment upon Israel for their fall into idolatry, their spiritual decline and apostasy. God scattered the northern tribes of Israel and throughout Assyria and into Asia Minor and even further regions than that. And about 120 years later, approximately, he also scattered the people of Judah and Benjamin and Jerusalem was destroyed, and many of the people were taken into captivity under Babylon. That was part of judgment, but it was also God, part of God's providential plan to prepare his people to spread the gospel. After Herod rebuilt the temple once more, people started coming back for the seven festivals every year. And at the festival of Pentecost, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, wonderful things began to happen. All of this was part of God's call. We read a few weeks ago, Isaiah 43, where the Lord proclaimed a promise after his judgment. He said, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Every one that is called by my name so far created him for glory. I have created him for glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Ezekiel chapter 3 speaks about this. Many of, the, many of the minor prophets also speak about this, foretelling that the Lord will call his people back to himself, but will also include others from the world. Hosea chapter 1 says, The number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said, of the, said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. So scripture foretells promises that it's not just Israel, but the whole world will respond to the call of the Lord. Great spiritual harvest was foretold in the, book, in the Old Testament books, and we're seeing it come to pass in this account in the book of Acts. It's because of the promise of God. Key to the promise of God was the fulfillment of, to, of this fulfillment was the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. We all know that he came to die in place of sinners, but his teaching and his ministry reinforced the promise of people coming to the Lord. In Matthew chapter 9, there's part of his a record of part of his ministry where he was performing his miracles and healing the sick 
and preaching and teaching his disciples. 936, the Bible tells us, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors, laborers into his harvest. Here is the burden of the Lord. The promise that God had proclaimed in the Old Test through the Old Testament prophets is the burden on the Lord's heart. Compassion for the lost. And his proclamation that laborers for the harvest were needed. And we're seeing that in this book of Acts. There are two most important events in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Of course, the death on his death on the cross, that was very important. And his resurrection. I would say it was equally important. You know, there's a, you may not have heard it, perhaps you have, and it kind of went in one ear and out the other because you didn't quite get it. There is a doctrine that we teach about the Lord Jesus Christ being fully man and fully God without any crossover or inter intermingling of either nature. Fully man and fully God without any contamination of the other. We call that hypostatic union. I think we need to see the cross and the resurrection in similar ways because they are both very important. They cannot be intermingled. And I hope I'm not speaking in error. I don't think either one can stand alone without the other. In Hebrews chapter 5, the Bible says, In the days of his flesh, speaking of Jesus, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. If Christ's death on the cross was less than it needed to be, he would not have come out of the grave. So we need to see the two as equally important. His death and resurrection together are the central event of all history. The Lord's passion for his mission was and is a holy desire for a great spiritual harvest. And his death and his resurrection provides that power for a great spiritual harvest. We begin to see it in the book of Acts and we continue to see it throughout history. Our Lord said the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So, brothers and sisters, if the Lord is asking prayer for laborers of the harvest,
Are you willing to be an answer to that prayer? Is it possible that the Son of God would have knowingly done all that he did and give all that he gave and then leave it all to potential failure? I don't think so. He promised his disciples that the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In answer to his prayer, we need to look at the book of Acts in such a way that we see the big picture, not just the individuals that were there and the records of their life and their ministry. We need to look at the big picture. We need to anticipate a great spiritual harvest because workers are needed. And as we see in the book of Acts, workers were prepared. In each event... For the Holy Spirit moved in each event, we saw people praying and studying the Word, focusing on prayer and the Word. They were being prepared, and then they were empowered, and then there was a great spiritual harvest. The events recorded, the, recorded by Luke are meant to help us as a church, because we should see a great spiritual harvest. The events of Acts are meant to instruct us and encourage us in our intended gospel mission. As we look at our text, remember that Peter had shared the gospel with Cornelius, a Gentile, and then he had to defend the action before the Jerusalem council. Something was also happening the message was getting out to the Gentiles around the city of Antioch and Phoenicia and Cyprus. And so they sent Barnabas to investigate, to check it out, to bring back a report. This marked an official transaction, excuse me, transition, that the gospel was finally considered appropriate to go to the Gentiles. They weren't against it. They sent Barnabas, just go and make sure they're getting the gospel right. Go and make sure that this is not something artificial, something phony, something apostate. They sent Barnabas. And he was encouraged by what he saw. The text tells us in verse 24, a great many people were added to the Lord. It's a great spiritual harvest. This was not the first one. This is following a trend. This is a crescendo, continuing, continuing to build. Workers were needed. Workers were prepared at Pentecost. Chapter 2, verse 47, they were praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. But at this point, they were primarily Jewish. Nearly all of the early Christians were Jewish. And soon after, even soon after Pentecost in Acts chapter 5, more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. But even so, they were still primarily Jewish. 
Then we get to the account of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the Jewish people who came, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. We're beginning to see a great spiritual harvest spread beyond the boundaries of Jerusalem, beyond the boundaries of the Hebrew nation. Because of the faithful ministry of Barnabas in Acts chapter 11, verse 21, it just begins our text just before the text we read this morning. The hand of the Lord was with him, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. This is a blessing of the gospel to the Gentiles, to the other nations of the world. In Acts chapter 11, Returning to our text, verse 24, For Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. Barnabas knew that Saul had a burden. Saul had a message from the Lord himself. You shall be my apostle to the Gentiles. Saul knew what, or excuse me, Barnabas knew what Saul had been prepared for. I'm going to bring him to Antioch. And this new church at Antioch, which was reaching out to the Gentile nations, prepared for a year. How do you share the gospel? How do you teach others about the Lord? How do you teach others about the truth? How do you teach others about the light? For a year, they prepared. They equipped themselves. They got ready. It's really quite interesting that Antioch was a Gentile city. There were Jews there. But it was primarily a Gentile city, and it was historically... In a Syrian nation, historically within the boundaries of the enemies of Israel. But yet the gospel was going there. How are Christians supposed to treat their enemies? You know. Our Lord Jesus Christ began his ministry with a sermon that addressed this point. How do we treat our enemies? The Lord himself said, I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the just and the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same thing? It's easy to love those who like you, love you back. 
mark of a Christian to love their enemies. Matthew 10, Matthew 5, beginning at verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt. Excuse me. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? If it is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men, you are the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Consider a great spiritual harvest is being described in the book of Acts, and it's worth studying. What is going on here at Antioch and in Phoenicia and Cyprus, people are being prepared to share the gospel Believers are being taught how to share their faith in order that there might be a great harvest. The Lord's Prayer. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers. That prayer was being answered. Is it being answered today? Is it being answered today? Workers were needed. Workers were prepared. Workers today are still needed. Workers need to be prepared today. Do you know how to share the gospel? Do you know how to talk to someone else about eternal things? About their sin and their need of a Savior? About coming judgment and the grace of the Lord. Consider that a great spiritual harvest is being described and is worth studying. Consider also that Luke deliberately suggests a contrast to this spiritual harvest with mention of a literal famine. Verse 28, one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold the spirit foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world this took place in the days of claudius so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in judea and they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of barnabas and saul We need to stop and think for a moment. Why was the famine mentioned? There could be more than re one reason. Very often, the Lord inspires his writers of Scripture to mention historical events, and there are reasons. It could just be a, a historical reference so that people know when this took place and what was going on during this time. It tends to lend integrity to the text. 
This was an historical event in the life of the church, and it correlated or paralleled what was going on here in the world. By way of illustration, when we profess, and we haven't done this in a while, but part of our worship we used to include the Apostles' Creed. Statements of faith that we agree upon according to Scripture. Part of that is, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, Why is Pontius Pilate mentioned? It has nothing to do with our salvation. But the early church fathers included that name in order that people might know. Someone who actually lived was involved with his actual death. These statements of faith are not myths or legends, but are supported by historical testimony. And that might be one of the reasons the famine was mentioned in Acts chapter 11. Supporting the integrity of the history. But I think there might be a spiritual reason as well. The church, the church is to be seen as a source of eternal life. Eternal nourishment eternal food. And I think we need to take it that way a little bit. You might remember the story of Joseph. We're all very familiar with that. He was in prison and was called upon to interpret the dream that Pharaoh had of Seven lean years and then seven years of famine. And because of what Joseph was able to tell Pharaoh, Egypt was prepared. For seven years they stored up grain and supplies. And for seven years the world came to Egypt for food. The church is supposed to store up spiritual food and nourishment. May I say even the glory of God in order that the people in this world might see. Is there anything spiritually like that going on in the church today? When we look across America, the church is divided and fractured and fighting one another. That should not be. There is a spiritual famine within the church. Something needs to be done. Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. Indeed, there were three periods of famine during Claudius' reign. Most of the commentaries say that the one talking here was the central one around 44 to 45. It's 44 to 45 AD. 
So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Indeed, the church should participate in mercy ministry. There was a physical, literal need here. And the Bible says everyone according to his ability to send relief to the, to the church in Judea. We could also translate and understand that, that each congregation according to that church's ability. We're a small country church, small congregation. We have limited abilities, but we should be using our abilities the best that we can in order that God may have glory and the gospel may be proclaimed and that people may see a demonstration of God's mercy and grace and power. But I need to remind you that providing, let me rephrase that, Sharing the gospel is not limited to providing relief to the poor. And there are many churches in America who have turned to a social gospel. All we have to do is be nice. That's not enough. That is not the gospel. That may be a sign that the gospel has transformed your heart and your life and your church and your congregation but it is not the gospel. Sharing the gospel is not limited to providing relief. If there are no workers, there will be no harvest. If there is no harvest, there will be a great famine. And a spiritual famine is worse than a literal famine. Do you want to see a spiritual harvest? Do you want to see God glorified? What are you doing to prepare? How are you preparing to be a worker in the ministry of the gospel? We consider that a great spiritual harvest is being described in the book of Acts. In response to the promises of God in the Old Testament, in response to the ministry of Christ on the cross and his resurrection in the New Testament, there was indeed a great spiritual harvest being witnessed and experienced during those days. How are we to evaluate the church in a modern world today? Are we seeing a spiritual harvest or are we seeing a spiritual famine? Are people being fed a message of truth or a message of junk food and poison? If there are no workers, there will be no harvest. If there are no harvest, there will be a great famine. We have a lot to do. And the world which we present the gospel to, it's, it's going to resist. It's not going to like our message. But we must be bold and faithful to proclaim it. That's what we are called to do. That's what we are saved to do. Some of you may have heard the story of Jacob de Shazer. 
He was one of the men who flew in B-25 squadron known as Doolittle Raiders. This was a response to their attack on Pearl Harbor. Their plan was to strip down a group of B-25 bombers, fill them up with, a little ex ex with a little extra fuel they wanted to get as close to Japan as they could, send them over to Japan, drop their bombs, fly on to some air bases in China, and land safely. The problem was they were spotted too early, so they had to launch too early. The distance to Tokyo and Japan was a little too far. They used up too much fuel. They didn't have enough fuel to get to the bases of safety in China. And Shazer's plane, went, had, he had to parachute with his crew, and they were captured the next day and imprisoned by the Japanese. If you've read anything about World War II, particularly about the South Pacific, then you know how brutal and merciless the Japanese were to the prisoners of war. They paid no attention to the Geneva rules and regulations of the Geneva Convention. They were not humane to their prisoners. Shazer was able to talk to one of his guards who provided him with an English Bible. He was only allowed to keep it for, for three weeks before it was discovered and taken away. But during that three weeks, his reading in Scripture, his heart was changed for his enemies. He was burdened for their souls. After his release, he entered, he entered Seattle Pacific College, finished undergraduate degree. He went on to Asbury Theological Seminary, finished a master's degree, prepared to go to the mission field in the 1948 with his wife. He was back in Japan. During his time of ministry there, he, he met someone quite unique, Mitsuo Fushida. Captain Mitsuo Fushida was the one who led the attack on Pearl Harbor. He led him to the Lord. Two enemies, now Christians, brothers in Christ. And very often in their campaigns, in their ministry throughout Japan, they would preach together. They would share the gospel together. Great spiritual harvest because men were bold to preach the gospel. What shall you do? Let us pray. Father, we are thankful for your word and its truth and its power. And we ask this morning that you may help us be faithful to you in all that we do. May we be bold to share your gospel and truth 
as we follow our Lord and Savior. It is for his glory we pray. Amen.